We have a real history in this church of supporting the Pregnancy Crisis Centre and uh, uh, with Elaine and Dorothy and others who were uh, you know, very prominent in that. But over recent years, the, it's changed quite a bit. There's more, it's doing more things and it, we thought it would be really good for... Uh, That's right. No, that's fine. <laughs> so this is Alif and Jackie, as you know. Please tell us about the safe. Oh, you need to. Thank you. Okay, I've got a jug of water, so now I just hope I don't drop the microphone in the jug of water. Be. Um, first of all, I just want to say, you know, we're talking about prayer this morning, and this is just such an answer to prayer. A couple of Wednesday afternoons ago, when I was trying to tidy up after the safe and um, uh, also uh, look after my, my baby nephew who I look after on a Wednesday alongside working at the safe which was great I just felt this real message from God and he went you need to get out there into churches and you need to tell people what you're doing and I just remember you know glancing up and thinking well father you better make it fantastically easy for me because I don't know how you think I've got time to go touting my wares around church when I'm already doing all of these things and boom the next morning, Andy just happened to pop in, as he did, and uh, after a, a, a brief conversation, he said, would you be able to come and I'd love you to talk at Hope Church. And then I think it was maybe two days after that, he sent me an email saying, I'm sorry, it'd be terribly short notice, but could you possibly do the 29th of May? And uh, I, I thought, oh, you know, I, I don't know. So I emailed our uh, church administrator just to make sure I wasn't on any duties, and she said, no, you told me you weren't available on the 29th of May. And I was like, did I? That would have been like three months ago. I wonder what I was supposed to be doing. So either it's divine intervention, which I think it was, or there's a child somewhere waiting at their birthday party for me to come and do face painting or something that I'd <laughs> agreed to do, and I'm not there. But hopefully this will be more important if that is the case. Um, but just the God's, God's love is just just woven into our building at the safe and also you as Hope Church are woven into our building at the safe because actually um, I feel a bit like I'm teaching my grandmother how to suck eggs here because there are so many people here that have been fundamentally important in making the safe everything it is today um, and I'm trying to make eye contact with all of them but it's impossible <laughs> but you know who you are um, and not just that but I know that Hope Church also gives financially to us at the safe and I know that there's already a huge amount of prayer that goes into us um, I'm going to talk I've got Jackie here because she is um, part of uh, the way we meet practical needs at the safe um, but I'm just going to tell a bit of a story that involves her first and another one the, the power of prayer so my mum had a um, prayer in her kitchen when I was growing up called the kitchen prayer and I don't remember much about it other than it said I may have Martha's hands but I have a Mary mind and I've always been a bit more of a Martha I struggle with that Mary mind I always it makes me so frustrated that we do an awful lot of ethereal talk about how we need to help people but there's not a lot of people going out there actually doing it which is absolutely not true of this church you are so invested and involved in a visceral way in the development of this town which is amazing um but also, I struggle sometimes to realise that it doesn't have to be an either-or, if that makes sense. I remember um, one time just uh, sitting with a lady we were supporting, who happened to be Hindu, and, and just feeling like it was the right thing to do. And I just said, right, okay. So she, she had um, a physical disability that meant she really needed a lightweight buggy um, to push her almost four-year-old child around him, which is a tall order. Most lightweight buggies aren't that great when it comes to, you know, supporting the body weight of an almost four-year-old. Um, so it was a bit of a tall order. 
So I just looked up at our beautiful glass ceiling and said, Lord, we really need a buggy for this lady. And by the way, her little girl's favourite colour is red. And then about two hours later, um, Jackie, who was at her brief respite being allowed to work for another charity before we sucked her back into ours, um, she was working in a charity shop at the time and she rang me. She said, I'm really sorry, but I've just been given this buggy and I've got nowhere to store it at all. Is there any chance you could take it off our hands? And I, I said, oh, you know, what type is it? It was an umbrella fold buggy. I said, just wondering, what colour is it? And she said, it's red. And I just knew that, that, you know, God's love and his passion for what we do is to bless people not just with what they need, but what they want and more besides. Um, another time, I was uh, absolutely despairing because I was trying to print a housing form for a, for a woman who re really needed to get her housing forms in by the end of the day. And, and I, we'd just been setting up a prayer team. And I remember, you know, thinking, oh, God, it's all great having all these people praying for us, but if I only had a printer, I could actually print these forms and do something for this person. And two hours later, I got a text message from Steve Rebette saying, we're throwing away a printer at BCMS. Do you need one? And I realized that all these times when I call out in frustration, when I cry out on behalf of these people to the Lord, what am I doing? I'm praying. It's a prayer. God is a constant, constant answer to our prayers. Um, yes. Okay. So that's just a complete tangent. That wasn't what I was going to go on. I was going to start with um, these. Now, that's a cake tin, obviously. And then here's some cups. Um, now, we, when we pray... I like to think of it as being like an exchange of love with God. We love God, so we pray to God. And, and he shows us his love by answering our prayers. So here's God, and the water is the prayer. That's a really good idea. Thank you, Jackie. And if I pour, um, you know, when you pray, your prayers are answered, okay? Because we, are, we have an active engagement with God. It's a two-way conversation. Now, God obviously loves these glasses that this glass is standing on, just as much as he loves the glass in the top. But in actual fact, it's a one-way conversation. Because we have that two-way conversation with God, our cups are full and overflowing. We talk about that all the time. My cup is overflows. Where should it overflow, though? It needs to overflow into these cups underneath and not make a big mess on the floor. Okay? So we are... Oh, there we go. That's just a little bit. We are so full of God's love but actually, we have that communication with him. And our job as Christians, as his vessels on earth, is to make sure that that love spills over into everybody else in Basingstoke. Um, that's what I think, anyway. He may not be right. Um, do I want you to clear it up? Mm. What, like, like you do all the other messes <laughs> I make all the time. Um, <laughs> I always... I, I was going to ask if I could use water, and I just forgot, because um, I used to be a, a cleaner in a, in a sixth form college, and so I used to clean the science lab, so I'm well used to the conversation of, oh, it was only a small fire, and we did clean up most of it, and how much impact that has to the people who actually have to look up, so hopefully I haven't uh, damaged the floor too much or got anything on the floor. Um, so, if prayer is a conversation between us and God of love, how do we trickle that down? How do we... Trans, how do we translate that love that God gives us um, to, um, to others? What do we do? Um, there we go. It is making a puddle on the floor. It's okay, but Jackie's already on it because that's what she's like. She's my partner in crime. Um, this is our building at the safe. As you can see, it's a beautiful building. And actually, I should have taken a picture. Oh, that's such a good idea. 
thank you so much. Um, I should have taken a picture of um, the inside of our building too, because we have this amazing glass ceiling. And when you look up at it, it really is like looking up to um, light. Should I put that on there? There we go. Okay, um, it is like looking up um, into the love of God. Uh, when people come into our building, we want them to know that they're not their just basic needs are met, um, but that they are truly loved by God. Um, but we have to do that, first of all, by sometimes meeting their basic needs. So I wonder if there are any shorter members of the congregation who can tell me what basic need do you think this might represent? This is going to get seeds all over the floor and make even more mess. What do you think this represents what what is one of our basic needs yes food absolutely the people of Basingstoke have um, a need uh, to have their 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 food needs met without food I mean a man cannot live by bread alone absolutely but without bread he really struggles to live at all so um, we do need to meet practical needs of people in Basingstoke like their need for food um, we also I've got this here what does this represent, do you think? Go on, what do you think? What's this? What do you reckon? It says it's, it's Radnor Splash, orange and passion fruit, still flavoured spring water, but it's actually just normal water, because in case I spilled th this as well, I didn't want to make the carpet smell of orange and passion fruit. So this is water. God shows his love for us in the fact that almost our whole planet is covered in water, isn't it? The giver of, of life. Um, we need to show people um, love through that too. And the way we usually choose to do it at the safe is through um, hot chocolate. So when people come to us, we offer them tea or coffee like you would get anywhere else. But we also say, would you like hot chocolate? Would you like marshmallows? Would you like squirty cream? Because we're not just, they're not just there. We want them there and we want them to feel God's love and to feel nurtured. Um, another absolutely fundamental importance of, uh, well, it's, well, I suppose, it, to me, it is Captain America, because he's my favourite superhero, but that isn't what they're supposed to represent. We also need, what do you think the blanket represents? What do we need? So we need to have food, we need to have liquid, what else do we need? Yeah, shelter, warmth. We need to be sheltered. We need to be um, warm. We need clothes. Mm -hmm. And actually, there are a lot of people in Basingstoke who struggle to meet those basic needs for their children. They struggle to be able to clothe their children. So one of the things that we offer at the safe is a uh, completely free baby clothing and equipment store. So they can come in. We feed them with thanks to Jackie, who often makes between 30 and 70 rounds of sandwiches a day to feed the people that come into our building. Um, we give them hot chocolate and we can offer to meet some of their other basic needs. Do you need clothes for your child? Do you need a safe place for them to sleep? Do you need formula milk? Can we help you with your breastfeeding journey? Have you got any, um, anything you need regarding weaning? Do you want us to talk to your health visitor for you? Those kind of things we can do as well. Um, also, very important um, stories are very important, but what this story represents is love. People need to feel loved. People need to feel loved. Nobody can thrive and survive unless they have all their basic needs met, one of which is love. We are always loved because we have the love of God poured into us. This is unfortunately not true for everybody because God loves everyone. But if you don't know that, it's only that one-way conversation. Um, and of course, 
What do we have that guides us? Our source of knowledge, this is my Bible. We have this, don't we? We have God's knowledge, okay, God's love and the firm and sure and certain understanding that we will one day be part of his kingdom in heaven. Can you imagine going through life without enough to eat, without enough to drink, without the clothes that you need to wear, not knowing where you might be living in a week and a half's time and not even having God in your life? How empty would that feel? How empty? And how can we be part of that solution? Um, could we go to the next slide? I've kind of whizzed through most of them, but we'll just go back anyway. Have you got the clicker thingy? Thank you so much. Okay, so, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now, that bit on the end, we usually miss that off the end. But I think it's super important because, actually, that bit's so important, God said it twice, okay? That you love one another, you are also to love one another. When we're spreading God's message, the love comes first. God loves the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not for God so loved his children, people who believe in him, Christians. For God so loved the whole world. And as his body on earth, that's where our love belongs, serving the whole world. It's said that greater love hath no man than he who lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus didn't even do that. He went beyond that. He laid down his life for people who didn't even know him, for people who hated him. When, when he died for our sins he was dying just as much for the sins of the person who hammered the nails into that cross as he was for his disciples a man cannot live by bread alone again so important it's mentioned at least twice Matthew 4 4 and Luke 4 4 but without bread he cannot live at all so this is a bit of science that was a little bit of science and then this is a little bit of science this is a, a triangle with colors on obviously but it's called maslow's hierarchy of needs and these are the needs that science tells us all humans beings need in order to live their best life to not just survive but to thrive okay we know that with the power of god we don't always need to have all of these but people living without god really, really struggle to be able to thrive without this, okay? It says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet, for your body, what you will wear, Matthew 6.25. So God says to us, don't worry about what you're going to eat, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about what you're going to drink, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, I'll take care of it. People who aren't Christian don't know that. So, as I've said, with the help of the wonderful Jackie, where's she gone? She's disappeared. There she is. Okay. We provide for their food. So, there's a little picture that's going to take five seconds to reveal. Sandwiches. On a Wednesday, when people come to our toddler group, we invite them to eat with us. Sharing food together is so important as Christians, isn't it? We do it all the time. Even in communion, we break bread. Yeah? We eat together because we're all part of the same thing. Like I say, water. But we like... Instead of water, we like to show the love of Christ through the application of hot chocolate. Okay? Warmth. We have a baby clothing and equipment store which caters to children up to the age of 12 where we're able to give people clothes. Okay? And we can even help them with rest. We even do buggies, cots, things like that that they need. Okay? 
we try and meet people's basic needs first to show them that God loves them. God wants them to survive, but he also wants them to thrive. Okay? Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay? Again, non-Christians don't have that. So how do we do that for them? How do we show them the love of God? Well, we comfort them. We tell them they're doing a good job. We focus on what they can do instead of what they can't do. Just the way God encourages us as Christians to use our talents. Okay? And also, we listen to them. We listen to them. We're not just there while they're talking. We actively try to listen to them. Just like we know we've got a direct line to God. Okay? We show that to them through, um, through the way we listen to them. We hope that by doing that, they ask questions and they do. Why? Why can you be so patient? Why does it not matter that I missed my last four appointments? You're still happy to see me with a smile on your face. Why are you making me hot chocolate when you're really tired? Why, why do you not mind how many times my baby throws up on you or knocks blocks down? And the answer is because the love that we have that we share with others does not come from us. It comes from God. We are God's vessel on earth and the love we have for them comes from God. So through meeting all these needs, we show them, we hope, the love of God. So I just guess I want to say thank you, Hope Church, for all of the contributions that you already make, both financially, um, both in terms of prayer, and just in terms of thinking of us. Um, and all of you that have helped out physically, and actually in that Martha way, whether it be helping run our toddler groups, helping with our baby store, uh, being fundamentally part of creating the safe what it is today, um, thank you, and keep us in your prayers. So, just want to tell you two stories about prayer for our town. First one um, is, I don't know if you knew much about the history of our town, but about 15 years ago, we had a, prof a prophet came through the town, and he wanted to prophesy over our town, so he asked us to do some work on the history, the, the history of our town of Basingstoke. And um, so we did. And we found that in the, uh, for many, many centuries, Basingstoke was a very small but honoured town. It, was, uh, it had a royal charter, and many kings and queens have stayed in Basingstoke. Uh, they, they would go on their royal progress, and they'd, if they were going down to the West Country, they'd stay in Basingstoke, Basinghouse, and places like that. And... Um, it, it was a, quite an honoured place until... But we noticed that today, or up a few years ago, Basingstoke itself doesn't have quite such an honoured reputation. And... Um, let's just go to, just go to that. Um, a lot of things about... <laughs> it's a bit dishonouring about Czech, the Czech Republic, really, isn't it? But um, Basingstoke hasn't had a good reputation over the years. It was the town itself has been, has been destroyed three times and rebuilt. Um, we know in the 60s, you know, it's been massively, has grown. Uh, people have called it Boring Stoke. It's had, it's, it's got its own little, um, 
uh, in Gilbert and Sullivan, in Ruddigore, is it, where they, they decide you're not blazing stoke and everyone laughs. And it hasn't had a great reputation. What we noticed was there was a turning point and that turning point appeared to be at the time of the Civil War. As you know, the Civil War, we had a, big, a, a battle here. Let's go back a bit. And this was Basing House. This is Basing House as it is now. And Basing House was um, owned by a, a family called the Paulettes, uh, the Marquis of Winchester. John Paulette, uh, at the time of the Civil War, was the fifth Marquis of Winchester. And he, uh, he, he was a Catholic. And he was a royalist. And so this was a royalist stronghold and around the country here were a lot of parliamentarians so the royalists tended to congregate in this. Basing House at that time had, was reputed to be the second largest private home in the country and in fact were two homes. There was, it was, there was one big building and then that wasn't big enough so they, bought, they built a second one and it was a huge place and uh, Queen Elizabeth stayed the first stayed here on more than one occasion. Um, but during the Civil War, the, the, the Royalists were there. And uh, in, um, uh, in 1642, the uh, parliamentarians besieged it and they couldn't break it. And they had this siege, was on and off for three years. And uh, um, during that time, you've got... Royalists who are Catholics and Royalists who are Protestants hold up. And in the end, they couldn't... Uh, the, the, the Protestants and the Catholics, the tensions arose and John Paulette petitioned the king to have the Protestants removed from the house, which was tragic, really, because what happened was that all the Protestants, including the garrison commander there, they marched out leaving just Catholics. So what began as, as a royalist, a royalist a parliamentarian struggle turned into a Catholic-Protestant struggle and uh, uh, it was renowned amongst the Protestants as a, a, as a nest of papal vipers. So what happened then was in 1645, uh, Cromwell himself came down and they put everything that they could into taking Basing House. And they did. They overran it. And once they got in, they burnt it right down. They, they burnt it. They destroyed it. They killed a lot of people. And a number of... Um, they found a number of Catholic priests were found that had been strung up. Um, it was a real... It, it was a real outrage perpetrated there. And we began to feel that there was something happened in this town... You know, this, this outrage done by the Protestants on the Catholics was something that was an offence in this town. So, um, so a few years back, a group, of the, uh, a group of the leaders in the town got together and we went to uh, Basing House, what's left of it, as you can see. We spent an afternoon, it was in February, and we just went in and prayed. Uh, uh, and we walked around the grounds, we just prayed and prayed. And then we, we brought with us a couple of Catholics, the, the Catholic priests, the, the main Catholic priests at the time. 
And then we stood at the highest point at one point and we recognised that actually the Protestants had committed a real outrage against the Catholics at the time of the Civil War. We recognised that was wrong and we wanted to put it right. They received that and together we prayed over the town. Now I believe that's just one event, but I believe that out of that things happened. For instance, how many times have you, when you said, when you, you meet someone and they say, where do you live? And you say, Basingstoke. They say, oh yeah, I go past Basingstoke on my way to. You know, they do, don't they? On my way to, I pass Basingstoke. An organisation began soon after that called Destination Basingstoke. Okay? And there is an organisation called Destination Basingstoke. Latest government figures tell us that Basingstoke is one of the ten best places to live in this country. All right? Now, I, I'm not suggesting that everything was done on, the, on that day, but I'm saying is that prayer changes things. And I think that one of my, uh, you know, one of my aims is when I eventually leave this place one way or another, that it will be a better place, a more godly place than it was when we arrived. And Diane, we just tell one more story. We'll, we'll be finished then. With one other little bit of um, Basingstoke history, and I will be very quick. Um, well, we've heard about what happened during the Civil War, but more recently something happened which gave us a truly terrible reputation. And um, move it along. That was um, during the late 19th century, during the 1880s, um, it was known as the Basingstoke Riots. Very quickly, as you know, the Salvation Army liked to go around the country preaching temperance. Now, Basingstoke happened to be a town which was based on the brewing industry at that time. Everyone seemed to be a brewer. There were 50 pubs, and the population wasn't much more than Overton in, that, uh, in those days, so 50 pubs serving such a small population. Anyway, two Salvation Army ladies came to Basingstoke in the 1880s, and they were not well received. And when more followed, they were even worse received. And there was mob violence, drink-fueled mob violence. And um, on a specific day in 1881, the numbers of people who assembled to fight against these poor Salvation Army people was a thousand. And there was the windows were smashed. Some of the Salvation Army people were thrown into the River Loddon and the canal. And it was a terrible, terrible scene in our town. And while all that was going on, the mayor, who is a chap called Mr. Blatch, he was a brewer. He just stood by and watched and did nothing. And at the end of it all, the Riot Act was read. There really is a Riot Act that was read. The rioters were jailed. And there was a parliamentary paper about Basingstoke. It's called the Basingstoke Disturbances. And Basingstoke was described as a town that appears to be inhabited chiefly by a race of barbarians. So that also gives a little clue as to why we didn't have a brilliant reputation. Um, just moving forward, 150-odd um, years, and um, just a little story about me being mayor. I don't like to say too much about it, but this is one that gives me the greatest satisfaction. Because during my time in the very first year that I was mayor, and the Basingstoke branch of the Salvation Army were visited by the UK's leading commissioners for the Salvation Army. And it was a genuine pleasure to invite all these lovely Salvation Army people, including the top man, uh, to the parlour. 
and we had a lovely reception. But during that meeting, and this had to be God, because I hadn't particularly planned this, I thought, I'm going to raise uh, the subject of the riots, because it was a big thing in Salvation Army history. And they were actually really pleased, and we talked about it for some time. And at the end of it all, um, I said, shall we just pray about it? And um, I was able to apologize before God as the current mayor for the actions of that previous mayor who failed in his duty. And um, we prayed together about it, and we gave it to God. And it was just one of those occasions which probably gives me the greatest satisfaction of being there. And I don't often show pictures like this, but forgive me. But it was just one of those things um, which uh, was memorable and fulfilling for me. And afterwards, I received a letter from uh, the UK commissioner saying that he felt it was a very important moment in the Salvation Army's history, which will be long remembered. So... Prayer does make some difference, I don't know, but every bit of prayer that we pray for our town makes a difference. And um, it's a constant reminder to me, thinking of this, to continue to pray that God will supersede, supersede that reputation that Andy was talking about. And I just want to say that, very finally, as perhaps David comes up to close in prayer, um, several years ago on Radio 2, there was a gentleman who visited the program, it was actually the Terry Wogan program, who'd been to Basingstoke, and he said, one thing I'll say about Basingstoke is it knows how to look after its poor. And I just think that's thanks to people like Alif and her team at The Safe and so many of you here who do so much. That's the reputation we want to build on, and we will continue to do so.